Good morning. We have gathered to worship God. For the call to worship this morning, I'm taking a phrase, a prophecy really, from one of the minor prophets, the 12 uh, short books at the end of the Old Testament. And what's marvelous about this, it's, it's a statement, and then God with a deep sense of suspense, dramatic suspense, is silent for 400 years. And then, Jesus. So this is from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Let's read responsively. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Let's stand and sing about that truth happening in history. Uh, Let's stay in Hosanna, loud Hosanna.
amen and amen. Have a seat if you would, please. It's marvelous to gather together on a beautiful day. We gather on site to worship and to join voices together in glory to God. But thank you too, those of you who are watching online, either by live stream or recording, for letting us here share this moment across the internet. And thankful that the Holy Spirit, by His grace, moves beyond time or place to put us together all across the world in a fascinating way. So welcome. A couple of quick things for today. Fellowship time following the service. I encourage you to uh, say hello, have a cup of coffee or orange juice. And then at about 10.15, I'll be meeting for what I do each week, typically a follow-up with the pastor where folks are uh, welcome to sit down, spend some time and say, what were you talking about today, Bill? But we interact on questions and opportunities and ideas. Everyone's welcome to be a part of that. It's been a busy week as we've uh, remembered the resurrection in the course of a graveside service. Uh, we gathered today in the litur liturgical calendar to remember Palm Sunday, a time when it looked like everything was going right. And suddenly, God, by His grace, was going to make it go real deal with the real problem. So we'll remember that on Maundy Thursday. We'll be gathering, I believe, in the Great Room at 7 p.m. for an all Heart Awake service in that way. Friday, we'll be encouraging folks to set aside time and to pray for the circumstances the related to the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, you can sign up online, take a 20-minute slot. Our goal is to cover nearly the whole day with different people praying. We'll have some resources. Again, you can do that online. You'll see it in our morning email that went out today and on the sermon resources blog, or you can just call the office. So let's do what it takes. This is a very direct thing that we as God's people can enter into and be a part of. Now, I'll give you just a little bit of vision. Next Sunday, Easter Sunday, will be a special time together. I've been encouraging you, and we hope to equip, invite and welcome. When you invite someone, then the people who come already know someone. And then as people arrive, as you extend a welcome. So next Sunday, don't let that be just about your friends and family. Invite somebody into your circle to say hello or have coffee. So next Sunday for Easter, we've, we always have a nursery going from the very beginning. I'm going to do something that we haven't done since COVID. I'll invite kids to come forward, and I've got a particular gospel story that I'll share with kids. It's just been too long without them running around. I love having that time together. We've got Easter hymns, and we'll also do communion as part of that all across campus. And I'll talk a little at the end of the service about just some of the things involved with that. So, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday prayer for Ukraine. Uh, next Sunday, we gather for a special time, uh, including something for the kids, the Easter hymns, and uh, communion. Ready to roll forward? It's a big week. God is doing great things. Uh, there's our Holy Week schedule. Oh, there's also, don't we have a slide about the, um, very good. I just follow what the notes are. If you'll text the word connect to this number, you'll get a link to a um, form. You can fill that out and get the weekly celebration. I have a special celebration email that's 
I send out with some of my own writing and opportunities, good way to stay in touch. Um, Heidelberg question number 28 from the Catechism. Uh, let's confess our faith using this um, historic expression of what the Scripture teaches and how folks have expressed it years before. First, the question, how does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? Answer, we can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing in creation will separate us from His love. For all creatures are so completely in God's hand that without His will, they can neither move nor be moved. As we draw close to uh, Easter and Good Friday, let's sing together, Man of Sorrows, what a name. Hallelujah. Have a seat. And let's enter right into praying together, shall we? Hallelujah, Savior. While we were yet distracted by the world, you were at work, O oh God, our Father, to rescue your people, to open a doorway, to build a bridge, to extend life where before there had only been brokenness. Thank you for the good news of the gospel that transforms us and sends us out into the world as instruments of grace. We thank you that we can gather and pray, that we enter into your throne room, not because of anything we've done, but because of who you are and who Jesus has called us to be. We pray for Heart Awake Ministries this day. We thank you for this gathering of a variety of ministries be with Aaron and JB and I as we uh, seek to proclaim the gospel. May it be compelling and clear and life-giving. Prepare us as a church for the celebration of Easter, all that it means, how we get to Easter by way of Maundy Thursday, the upper room, Good Friday, the cross. 
but then there is victory. And so help us focus and celebrate on that. May that be good news for our community. We thank you for Pastor Florencio and for Mission that'll meet right here in a few hours to worship and praise you in the Spanish language. Father, within this mix of Heart Awake, you've called us a celebration to be an expression of your grace and goodness. And part of that is the life of prayers. We pray together. It's been quite a few months. For each of us, there are stories, hope, and heartache. Thank you that we can process those together. I'm going to, again, just hit three themes and give you a moment of silence in your own heart to name people and circumstances. We pray for those who are sick in our midst. Pray God's healing grace, comfort and compassion, strength for medical personnel. Pray for the sick. Father, we pray for those who are recovering, whether from long treatment or injury. Be completion of your good work. Name the names in your circle before the throne of God. And finally, Father, for those who are grieving, who've experienced loss, who are on the journey, but see it so different. Help celebration to be a place of comfort and encouragement, of support, as together we join the journey of being found in, formed by, and following Christ Jesus. Lift up names. Father in heaven, you've instructed us to pray for those in authority over us. And so each week we take a different sphere of influence. This week in our rotation is the state of Michigan. We pray for Governor Gretchen Whitmer, our Attorney General Dana Nessel, Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. For those in the State House from this area, Mary Whitford, Jim Lilly, and Bradley Slay. For State Senator Roger Victory. We thank you for the blessing of the rule of law. Guide us as a people, first in the realm of self-government, but then at each level of godly administration, legislation, and enforcement. Use those people in those places, Father. Lord, the gospel is for all tribes and tongues and nation. You tell us that every uh, time we read the scripture. So this uh, Sunday, we pray very specifically for uh, the many who are submitted to Allah, that they might be converted by your grace and come to be deeply loved, fully adopted children of the great creator king who's revealed himself as Yahweh and then as Jesus, the incarnate son. We pray for Muslims across the world in this month of Ramadan as they seek Allah May they meet Jesus. We pray for our missionaries, many of whom serve in what are now closed countries. Guide them in their decisions, extend their ministry. May those they have discipled and remain in these places be seeds of the gospel. And Father, even as we will on Friday, we pray for shalom, for the wholeness and peace, a peace that comes with justice, namely an end to tragedy of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. 
Father, as we pray the scripture, I'm reminded through the words of Scotty Smith of your word in John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, says Jesus to his disciples, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus, you've called each one of us to be abiders, to be people who with deep roots in your grace, resting in your finished work at the cross and seeing the Holy Spirit work in and through us. Sadly, Father, we don't always choose to abide in your love. Far too often, we seem to find it more natural to avoid your grace and instead to abide in busyness choosing lesser things over eternal goodness. Or we abide in bitterness, rehearsing how people fail us more than we savor your love for us. Or we abide in our brokenness, fixating on what we are not, don't have, or can't do. Jesus, deliver us from us. Place your life within us instead. Take us further up and further in, into the truth of the gospel, into the wonders of your love, and into the riches of your grace. Do these things as we prepare to enter the week leading up to Easter. Prepare us for a fresh encounter with yourself. Jesus, we thank you that you've not left us alone, but you've placed your Holy Spirit in each of us as people and in us in a community. And so in your word, you have taught us to pray using these words. Let's pray together saying, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom the power, and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Well, this will be the final in our uh, preaching series through essentially the book of Exodus. We're in numbers today, but it's the story that starts in Exodus, the deliverance from slavery right up to the edge of the promised land is where we are this day. We've called this enough, and this morning I'm looking at this is not what I expected. See, so often through this series, we've seen that I look at myself and my resources and it's not enough. When I impress deeply into God, I find he is, even when I'm surprised with what I did not expect. Follow along. I'll be reading from Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 24. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Note to self, no, but let's go on. And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. 
Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jehoanah, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he'll give it to us only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning those two. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the Israelites. You can feel things ramp up. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I've performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. Whoa. But I will make you into a, great, into a nation greater and stronger than they. Moses said to the Lord, watch the heart of the intercessor being cultivated and growing. Listen to Moses as he says to the Lord. Then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power, you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They have already heard that you, the Lord, are with these people, and that you, the Lord, have been seen face to face, and that your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, eh, the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land. He promised them on oath. So he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Now, may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared. And this is a quotation. We preached on this last Sunday this quotation of what the Lord said about himself. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion, yet he does not leave the guilty and punished, unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. We unpacked that last week. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But... Because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Let's pray. Father, what amazing circumstances that decisions would have such consequences. We breathe deep and ask, guide us, teach us. Thank you that Moses carefully recorded these events, he's an eyewitness, and that they've been amazingly preserved in a variety of ways across centuries so that now, by your grace, we can open the scroll as it were, translate, study, meditate, pray, 
and in your mercy, you will speak to us. Holy Spirit, illumine our hearts and minds, not simply to read the page, but to hear your voice calling us forward deeper into your grace, into your kindness, and into your joy. Thank you that we approach you not on the basis of our knowledge or ability, but through the open door of the grace of Jesus Christ, one for us at the cross. We give you thanks and pray in Jesus' name that all of God's people sit together. Amen. Amen. Well, we're joining the journey. That's been a key theme through these previous seven weeks. We started in slavery. Then we saw the manna, the giving of the Ten Commandments, the golden calf. Boy, that was a tough time. And last week, this self-revelation of God. Remember, it's critically important. It's not so much what we think about God. I've been confused about what I thought about God. Again and again, I go back to what God has said about himself and begin to shape my heart and my mind in light of who God says he is. So we saw that last week in this self-revelation, self-disclosure, self-presentation of God. Now we're right at the border of the promised land. It's as if we're standing right on the edge and looking in. The good stuff is about to arrive, or so it seems. What happens in this point, and I'll put things together, we start with what I'm going to call the all-Israel recon team. Alrighty? Um, notice that the Lord speaks to them about just who it is they should send in. He gathers, he gives them a plan in Numbers 13, 1 through 2. Listen to this. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So here they are at the border. They've seen God work. It's been about a year since they were set free from Egypt. And he says, send a team to taste and see. God gives them a plan. That's a great way to function. Function in light of the Lord's plan. He says, gather these respected leaders, send them in. And that's the second thing I want to touch. These were not unknown people. The folks who get to go in and taste and see, scout the land, they'll spend about 40 days there through the course of this. These are people who are known and respected and trusted. They're a first taste of the good things. So specific were they that the Lord actually has their names recorded by Moses. These are people that would be remembered soon after this time because they stood out. Do you and I remember names like George Washington, Abraham Lincoln? These are people of such stature who stick with and carry weight even after they've passed away. Well, they go in for 40 days, check things out, and they return to give a report. Indeed, they carry a sample with them. The scripture says that the land was so productive that two men with a pole between them, I've seen this with deer, but I've never seen it with grapes. They put a cluster of grapes on that pole and go walking in. The, this is an exceptional land. So they give a report, and the report is based on what they've all seen. They've all been there and seen the same thing. It's interesting to me. These 12 men, we're going to look at their report 
for a time here. They've all been through the same experience over the past year. They'd all been in slavery. They'd all been set free, crossed the Red Sea. They'd all seen God do his amazing work. They'd heard the Ten Commandments. They'd saw the stumbling and the risk with the um, golden calf. They'd all been this together. And then for 40 days, they're scouting out the land together. They discovered it together. They'd first seen those grapes together and all the other good things. So whether surprise at the goodness or trauma at what they've seen, They've all seen the same thing. They've been there in the land, and that's the big grapes. That's good news, big grapes. But there was something else that stood out to them. In Numbers 13, 33, they say, we saw giants. Indeed, and I love this statement, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Big grapes, big problems. All 12 of of them saw that. All 12 of them had their shared experience coming to that moment, and they were overwhelmed. What's interesting at this moment, though, is that they came to different conclusions. 10, the majority, mind you, said, we can't go in and take the land, but there were two, Joshua and Caleb, who said, oh, we've seen all those things too but we can go in and take the land. What's the difference? 10 say we can't, two say we can. Who's right? History shows that Joshua and Caleb prove right. What's the difference? They see the same thing, but there's one thing that sets them apart, and that's what I wanna call in this moment, just quickly and simply, I'm sorry, let's dig into their report. They've seen this thing. Let's listen to the majority recommendation. What was it that made them think, we can't go in? Well, if you read carefully through these two chapters and dig a bit deeper, you can get a glimpse into what was going on inside of them. Again, we see their behavior. They say, we can't go in. But what can we discern of their heart? What can we learn for ourselves of their motivations? What can we relate to in terms of that inner conversation? Well, there's a couple of things going on here. One is clearly social pressure. In Numbers 13, verse 30, we read, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. There's the voice of Caleb. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. So the voice of the ten had great power in light of the voice of the two. We've all faced that. And friends, let's not think, oh, that middle school peer pressure. Ask yourself about your house or your car or just where you go or how you find affirmation for yourself. Friends, there is a whole advertising industry geared at pressuring us into thinking that what I don't need is something I can't live without. When you watch TV and the commercial comes on, ask yourself, do I really need this? Step back with a a little bit of incredulity and say, oh, so the only reason I get to watch this program is because so-and-so wants to sell me that. Friends, we are surrounded by a pressure to conform, 
to be like the world and to not stand out, that same social, social pressure, whether for young or for old, was at work here in this majority recommendation. Second thing, and you might miss it unless we look close, is that they actually changed the Lord's word. Look at Numbers 14.3. Why is the Lord bringing us, wait a minute. The Lord is bringing them into the land, but then only to let us fall by the sword. No, the Lord has said why he's bringing you into the land. And it's not to let you fall by the sword. It's half of a promise and half of a fear. They were changing the word of the Lord. I want to tell you, as a church historian, I look back over the life of God's people across time and across cultures, and rarely does the church falter by turning away. Often the church falters by mixture. A little bit of gospel, a little bit of this. I've got a lot of illustrations that I'll pass on for right now about how mixture becomes death and danger. It's the gospel. It's what has God said. And if God hasn't said, what should we say? Nothing. We should be silent where the Holy Spirit has silent. That's what John Calvin said. Good idea. But where God has spoke clearly, we have a message to share, to let shape our lives and to bring to our neighbors. You see, they changed the Lord's word and out of that grew fears for their future. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Now, God had already made a promise that things would turn out different, but these people mix the word of the Lord and end up facing fear. How many times are the fears that speak deeply in our heart, are those just places we've turned from God's word? We've added something or subtracted something and in its place grows a fear. And then I was deeply struck. One of the final things they want to do is look for a new leader. Oh, Moses got us in trouble on behalf of God with this. We should find leaders for ourselves. Now imagine, here's a whole nation of people, and they don't like their leader, so they want a new leader. Never once are they willing to look at their heart and say, hmm, maybe if you just change leaders but don't have a change of heart, you'll just have, but but that was for back then. I have no idea where that would apply for us today. Yeah, isn't it interesting? They don't want to face the heart issues, the motivations. Change leaders? Sure. Deal with the heart? Mm, not so much. Well, that's the majority recommendation. Let's look at the minority recommendation. Jacob and Caleb, two voices speaking against 10 in a community of more than a million. They say two things that really stand out to me. And Caleb's the one who speaks here in Numbers 14, 9. He says, only do not rebel against the Lord. You see, here's why it's a matter of the heart. Where does rebellion rest? It's rooted in the heart. It says, I'm in charge. I make the decisions. I define reality. Rebellion says, I make decisions. I don't care what God says. And Caleb recognizes they're about to change their behavior and not go into the promised land, but he sees 
a matter of the heart. Do not rebel. And out of that rebellion, another heart issue is fear. Do not be afraid of the people of the land. Notice, Caleb is not in denial. He's not saying, eh, they're not that big. He knows how big they are. He's seen them. He knows the threat. God's people are not called to live in denial. Have you ever had a church encounter that sounded more like denial? And that was being put forth as faith? I want to suggest to you, faith can see the brokenness of the world. But it sees something else instead. You see, here's part of the challenge we've got to figure out. What is the difference between this majority report and the minority report. I want you to see that in Caleb's presentation here, he says, their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. Notice Caleb doesn't say, oh, they're big, so let's go get more allies. He looks to the Lord. He doesn't say, go get different weapons of war. You see, you can see the problem and look for answers in a variety of places. He doesn't say, eh, let's not worry about that real estate. Let's go somewhere else. No, he says, look to the Lord. My observation here is that the 10 spies in the nation are concerned with externals. What's the threat? What will it mean for me? Caleb keeps pointing to the internal state of being. What are you trusting? Where is your hope? Where is your joy? In essence, Caleb and Joshua have a, an additional variable in their equation. They see the giants, they see the land, they know their resources, and the 10 say that doesn't add up. Caleb and Joshua see those same things, but there's another variable. I'm going to call it the God variable. And with that, the whole equation changes. Do you see how that works? You add one variable, and suddenly it's a whole different outcome. And I'm going to push that a little. You know, I've talked a lot every time we're in the Old Testament, and certainly in this series, about how when you read in the Old Testament, the Lord, and that word Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's speaking not about the position of divinity. It's speaking about the person of Yahweh is the best way we know to vocalize it in our day and time, the long story with that. But Yahweh, this is a person. Caleb and Joshua didn't simply have a variable for spiritual things. I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Okay, so you've added a variable. What is that variable? When that variable is Yahweh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's a whole different thing. Remember, Yahweh has made himself known to us. It's not just us trying to figure him out. It's just not us projecting our need. He again and again breaks those things down and says, no, this is who I am. Last week, we read through Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And the Lord passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And Moses refers to that very self-disclosure here in Numbers 14. Let me read that to you. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed, says Moses, just as you have declared, 
And then he quotes him. He says, the Lord slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished and he punishes the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Forgiving and yet not in denial. We talked last week about how do you resolve that? Well, that's the gospel. The gospel is about God saying, I'm not in denial about sin. It'll have to be paid for. And then we discover in Jesus Christ, it's paid for by him. He will not compromise his justice. But the miracle of his grace is that he himself will pay the very price of his justice. That should drive us to our knees with awe and worship. There's the gospel right there in the book of Exodus, now in the book of Numbers. So this is the difference between the majority recommendation and the minority recommendation. One took into consideration the words of the Lord, the other did not. And depending on what God you put in that variable, you'll get a different answer. That's the Yahweh variable that Caleb and Joshua are looking at. It's not the Allah variable. It's not their national identity variable, Israel, Holland, United States. It's not their individual self-actualization variable, if that's what you worship. It's Yahweh, the God of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. And friends, it gets deep and powerful here in Numbers 14 and 11. The Lord sees the heart. And he challenges them. Let me just read this. How long will these people treat me with contempt? You see, the response of the nation, again, here's the hard issue. Contempt for the Lord. Oh, he'll bring us out, but he won't bring us in even though we promised it. They do not believe. I want to tell you, as I'm struggling with besetting sin or with an issue, unforgiveness, one of the places I always press through to, do I finally dig to the bottom of that sin until I find a place that I don't believe God? You see, my sinful behaviors, if I'll go deep enough, will always be rooted in some expression of unbelief. This is what the Lord is pointing out in the in his people. And he says, even what they have seen, we'll begin to forget the good things we've seen God doing and do in our lives because we're so consumed with this moment. And as I said last week, these decisions have consequences. Now, the consequence of faith plays out to thousands, as we talked about last year, beyond generational count. The consequences of our unbelief they will impact, but God limits those to just three or four. But right here, decisions have consequences. For the nation, it's back to school. Learn and wait. It's 40 years around the desert. They'll see God in that desert, but it's not the best place to be. For Joshua and Caleb, they do enter the land. I've been deeply concerned through the course of my life. What does it mean to live as a broken person among broken people? Will other people's bad decisions rob me of God's best? And I love to read about Joshua and Caleb. They stood up for God as a minority. They survived and they entered in. Go and read Joshua 14, 10 through 12 one time. It's Caleb entering into the land. He's been through the desert. All his comrades and peers have died as God's promise so that now those who are faithful can enter in. 
And he says, I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day long ago. You yourself heard that the giants were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Oh, go, Grandpa. This guy is still itching, not for a fight, but to see the wonder of God's promise worked out. I may have to wait 45 years, he would say, but God's word is good. You see, as Israel stands at the doorstep of the promised land, one of the things they're struggling with and dealing with is expectations. The nation says, oh, God provides good grapes, I like that but I don't want big problems. I don't like that. How could this be God's will that we should have to fight or suffer or risk the danger of battle? Joshua and Caleb think differently. There's that Yahweh variable. They say, we live in a broken land. There are going to be challenges and heartache, but the Lord will be with me and at work in me, even in those difficult times. See, one set of expectations is surprised by heartache. Another may struggle with heartache, but looks for where is God at work. He's good to his promise. How does this work out? One set, the Lord gives me what I want. He may expect my obedience, but okay, I'll obey. I'll get what I want. That's a transactional relationship. The other, Joshua and Caleb, the Lord will be at work and with me no matter what I face in this broken world. Do you hear how different that is? That's a different set of expectations. One is that if I do right, it'll go well. The other is I'm living in a broken world, but God will be with me. There's the fork in the road, friends. Many of you know my story. I hesitate to tell it, but it's the only one I've lived. I was in my mid-40s with a flourishing ministry career. Mary Lynn and I had relocated to Asheville, North Carolina to redevelop a church that had been in turmoil. My first year as pastor there, attendance tripled. But because my regional body didn't think we could continue to pay the bills and support ourselves, they closed it without any input. I went to a meeting with a rapidly growing church, struggling, tough history, money was running short, all those are true things. But I came home unemployed. That rocked my world. But I had to prayerfully look at the lives of like Joshua and Caleb and say, okay, it's not, God, why did you do this to me? It's got to be instead, Lord, where are you in this mess? What are you showing for your glory and for my benefit? Did I still have a mortgage to pay? Oh, yeah. Did I start getting nervous about health insurance? Oh, yeah. I had a daughter who was a freshman and two kids and a wife in the queue for college. It wasn't, why did you do this to me? It was, where are you in this? 
And as long as by God's grace, I could continue to look at that Yahweh variable, there was a hope and a freedom and God did amazing things. I wanna tell you friends, God is not the enemy when you face suffering. He's the answer. And if there's some switch in your heart that continues to, to think, why, why? Rather than where, where? It's a hard time. Ask the question. At that moment of disruption, you're standing at a land of promise. You can go in and discover new things about God or one more lap around the desert. I want to tell you, on this Palm Sunday, we remember one who did not fail, who himself stood at the edge, as it were. I was very taken this week by how just as Israel stood at the edge of the promised land, which way will we go? So Jesus stood at the edge of Jerusalem, saw this city, what will he do? He stood at the edge of his own momentous decision. We call it Palm Sunday. But Jesus on this day is cheered as king. He enters Jerusalem fulfilling prophecies. Folks are excited and waiting. They're cheering and expect to receive what they want, revenge against their oppressors. Blessing as the nation becomes everything they expect God to make it. Friends, we need to challenge our heart, not just to, to have a, a comfortable circumstances but to enter into all that God has for us. It turns out that where we are placed in history, we can look back and see in Joshua and Caleb, the outline of Jesus, one who would stand at the edge of the city of Jerusalem and trust the Father rather than the cheering crowd. See, the crowd had expectations that day. Hooray, big king, revenge is ours. God had a different plan. Jesus stands at the edge of the city of Jerusalem and trusts his father. That's what this next week is all about. Therefore, friends, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses by Joshua, Caleb, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, it says, the pioneer and perfecter of the faith who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne. You come to the edge. Where is God in this? You enter in. Jesus saw the cross. He ignored the cheering crowd, and he did what we needed. Let's pray. Father, we have faced hard life in a broken world often. It seems as if there are giants and we can name them. We feel their hot breath. And yet you have committed yourself in writing that as your deeply loved, fully adopted children, you have great and good things for your people. Father, thank you that you can call us, enable us like Joshua and Caleb to stand true to your word, to with humility point to you, not ourselves, and that we can live in your fulfillment even if it takes 45 years. I pray that celebration might be in a community of encouragement and in truth. Help us each together know and understand your good purposes 
to rejoice with those who rejoice and to um, weep with those who weep, that together we might endure what is before us because of a greater joy we see beyond us. Help us to be salt and light right where you'd place us, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Before we stand and sing, I want to just touch something real quickly for next week about communion. Logistics. We'll have the single packs that you can pick up coming in if you like, and you could take communion at your pew at the end of the service. We'll also give opportunity for people to come forward, just like we did last time, and you can get the single pack, take communion at the front, or as you come forward, we can serve you and you can receive cube of bread, and a glass of juice. So that's the logistics of what we will do. The other thing that institutes this moment for me is the fabulous conversation we've had for a number of weeks running now about the CRC habits years gone by of reading the form for the preparation of um, communion. And I've been learning and reading and studying that. And by and large, I find it very, very encouraging. Let me tell you two things I love about it. One, it encourages self-reflection to spend a week of saying, essentially this, where do I really need Jesus? Where have I been living in unbelief? More like the 10 than the two. And in that then to come to communion with that need, it's a way of honoring the importance of communion. And I appreciate that. But I also know it's very possible to begin to think, am I worthy? And if you try to answer that question in terms of, am I worthy in myself, you're in trouble. You see, they call the practice fencing communion, you know, where you put a fence around the table is the expression and only the right people get in. I wanna tell you, the best part of fencing the table, if you'll use that expression, is not that it excludes people, but it helps guide people to the door in the gate. You remember Jesus said, I myself am the gate of the sheep. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. It's not about keeping people out. It's about focusing on how do we come. And that's in behalf of Jesus. Let me read you um, uh, something from one of the forms that I've been reading over. We come testifying that we seek our salvation apart from ourselves. By, his by this testimony, we humbly confess that we are full of sin and worthy of death. And by this testimony, communion, we confess that we believe the sure promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This promise assures me that no sin or weakness which still remains in me even though I struggle, even though I may not see it? I mean, does that include the sin I'm blind to? That's why I reflect that God might draw me in. The promise assures me that no sin or weakness that still remains in us against our will can hinder us from receiving. Come and receive. Finally, because we're gonna include children in a special way next week, um, in the CRC, children, Baptized children, in particular children of the covenant, are invited to receive. Um, that's based on commitment within the family. And we want to equip and encourage families to help children understand and process that. You know, children were involved in the Passover. 
Jesus said, children are invited. Suffer the little children to come unto me. And so in the context of family, and let us support you in that, you can call me this week, we can prepare. Let's prepare our hearts this week with self-reflection on the door that has been opened because of Jesus at the cross. And let us prepare to enter in. I want to close with a hymn that expresses that to me. It's a little different melody, but I, I, I love it, and I picked it, so here we go. When I survey the wondrous cross, shall we stand and sing to God as we prepare for this week? further into the book of Hebrews, receive this blessing, this benediction from Hebrews 13. And now may the God of peace, Shalom, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Amen.